0: So, I, I find it fascinating. We, I don't think that we really we let this fact hit us, but 2,000 years ago, a, a baby was born in a town that they can't even find like on a map anywhere. It's like such an obscure little town, like Black Nat, Kentucky. Have you ever heard of Black Nat, Kentucky? It's a real place. It's a real place. Anybody ever been to Black Nat? He's going tomorrow. There you go. Of course, Erica's been. Black Knight. Jesus was born in a place like Black Knight, Kentucky. And his parents were not like important in any sort of way. And here we are 2,000 years later, and literally the whole world presses pause. And for a month, we celebrate his birthday. Isn't that remarkable? Like, if you just really think about how amazing is Jesus Christ. And on the night he was born, uh, the, the heavens ripped open, and these angels appeared to some shepherds. And they were tending their flock in a near in a nearby field and the shepherd the uh, angels made a pronouncement to or the angels made a pronouncement to the shepherds and they were, they said this Luke chapter 2 verse 13 14 suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests and so here here's my question today this one I want to explore that was 2000 years ago and here we are today there's war in Ukraine uh, our country is more divided, more polarized than probably the 1970s is probably the, the latest that we've been as polarized as we are today. Uh, divorce rates are over 50%. Um, church splits are common all around the world, even in our little community. Uh, people are, are suicidal, and they're depressed, and there's conflict, and there's division, and there's unrest. And so here's my question. 2,000 years after the Savior b- was born, he promised to bring peace. Why isn't there peace on earth? That's what I want to explore today. So let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to begin reading in Isaiah chapter chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, and I'm going to read through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the spirituses who chirp and mutter. Shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire on the dead of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they're famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their, their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor in the way of the sea to the land east of the Jordan, to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yokes and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. And I pray today, King of glory, that we will be all overwhelmed by your goodness, by your promises, and that we will be brought peace and that we will become peacemakers in your name to the ends of the earth for your glory and for the good of your people. Lord, speak through me. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment, just pray. Pray for the people around you. Pray for the people that may watch this online. Pray for our city. Take a moment. and Pray for yourself. Pray a prayer, something like this Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Isaiah 8:18. 8, here I am, I, this, the I here is a, a man named Isaiah, he's a prophet. And he's with the children the Lord has given him to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. And so God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah to a group of people that we know of as the Israelites. Isaiah is specifically speaking to a, a kingdom called Judah. I'll come back to that in just a second. The Israelites were God's chosen people. Uh, And God had promised a man named Abraham, who was the father of this nation, he promised that uh, this nation would become a great nation and be a great blessing to all the nations. And God's plan was that the Israelites would be the model community for the world. They would be like a city on a hill, and they would illustrate, they would live lives and conduct their kingdom in such a way that all of the pagan and godless nations would look to them and say, they're doing it right. We want to do life their way. We want to serve their God. That was God's plan. Unfortunately, uh, as Isaiah speaks to this kingdom, uh, they're not doing too hot. Uh, their kingdom had just recently gone through a national divorce. Uh, that's, a lang- that's language that's common today, isn't it? You've heard that before. So they had just gone through it. They just couldn't get along. So there was no peace in their land. So they split in two. And there was uh, this constant war, especially coming up from uh, Syria, which is north of Israel, through Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, through a place called Zebulun and Naphtali. Those were the regions that they would come through. So just keep that in mind. But um, during Isaiah's time, there's a king in Judah named Ahaz. And Ahaz is a wicked king. He's one of the most wicked kings in the kingdom of Israel and Judah. Uh, And what he does, he boards up the temple of the one true God, and he starts idol worship in Israel and Judah. And so what they do, they, they set up this altar... To a god named Molech, and they start worshiping Molech. Now, in order to worship Molech, what you would do is you would take your babies to an altar, and then you set the babies on the altar, and then you'd light them on fire. That's what you do, and you'd watch them burn alive. And as they're burning alive, you would, you would do these like drums and these incantations, and you would try and speak with the dead. And so that's what's going on in Israel. And so then we pick up the, uh, the uh, Isaiah's message, verse 19. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't you, as the people of God, inquire of God? Shouldn't you do that? Should you really be inquiring on the dead, of the dead on behalf of the living? Should you really be sacrificing your children? Shouldn't you go to God's instruction and testimony? And, and if you don't, like, inquire of God's instructions and testimony, if if all these spiritists and mediums, if they're not speaking God's word, listen to me, Isaiah says, there will be no dawn for you. Verse 21, you, if this is the track you want to stay on, you're going to wander through the land aimless. No vision, no direction, the blind leading the blind, and you're going to, you're going to be dejected. Another word we could use there, probably a better translation would be stiff-necked. You're so stubborn and ornery and hard-headed That you won't change course, you won't see God, and as a result, you're going to deal with the negative consequences of your sinful choices, and you're going to start to starve. And as you feel that felt need because God has pulled back His blessing and His provision, as you feel that, you're going to become enraged. Isaiah says, enraged, and there's going to be all sort of infighting, and you're going to look to all these people, and there's going to be riots, and there's going to be all sorts of terrible things that are happening. And also enemies all around you. And then you're going to look upward. And instead of asking God for forgiveness, and instead of seeking God, you're going, to, you're going to shake your fist at God, and you're going to curse your king and your God. Verse 22. Isaiah says, then you're going to look on the earth. You're going to hope you're going to find some sort of solution, some sort of hope for all your problems because you're starving to get death and everybody's at each other's throat and you don't want the world to be this way. And so you're going to start looking for wisdom on the earth. Where's Elon Musk? A uh, time person of the year is Zelensky. Well, let's find him. Maybe he can sort it out. Maybe Biden can sort it out. Maybe DeSantis, maybe Trump. Let's find, maybe we need a better political theory You know, maybe some human philosophy, maybe secular science, maybe worldly economics, maybe artificial intelligence. That's what we need. You're going to look to the earth to try and find your solution. And what are you going to find? You'll see only distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, you'll be driven into even thicker darkness, more babies sacrificed, more corrupt kings, more plagues, more poverty, more war. Isn't that the history of humanity? We give in to our own wisdom and intellect. We put our fists up. We curse God. Even as things get worse and worse, we don't surrender. We don't submit to him. And then there's more injustice and there's more poverty and there's more war and things just get worse and worse and worse. And, and why is it happening? Here we are 2,000 years after the Savior was born who promised peace on earth, and we don't have peace on earth. Why are we continuing in the same pattern? It's because the world continues to forsake God as the one true king. Trusting the direction of godless people and institutions, instead of submitting to the word of God, they serve their own selfish and twisted desires, and the result is more darkness, more gloom, more distress. Here's a good way to sum it up. I'm sure you've heard this before, but no Christ, no peace. It's really that simple. Now, what's interesting, and this is this is what blows me away. God is so faithful. What does God do? His people, his chosen people, he's given them every privilege that you could have to do life the right way. And they just spit in God's face. They shake their fist at God, and they go and burn their babies at the altar of Molech. And so what does God do in response? Does he throw his hands up and say, I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with you. You made the mess. You clean it up. Is that what he does? Verse 20. Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless. That's beautiful. That's powerful. You are faithless. Nevertheless, I will remain faithful. In spite of all of you done, you're done, I will not go back on my promises. The gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times. What you're going through, this darkness won't last forever. When he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, again, this is where the enemies would come from. Uh, You've got Judah and Israel, and then there's Syria. There's another nation up there, and, and what was happening in this time is all the enemies would swoop down through Naphtali, through Zebulun, and then they would come in through Israel and down to Judah. And it was just trouble after trouble after trouble. And, says, and God says, every time you look up there, you saw trouble coming. God says, in the future, in the future, you're going to look up there and you're not going to see trouble. You're going to see blessings. You're going to see Honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to the Galilee of the nations. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. A new day. God says, he promises, a new day is dawning. For the people that are walking in darkness, the promise, God promises, how I'm going to turn it around? What will this new day, what will this new era look like? Verse three, you have enlarged, The nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. And so so Isaiah, the messenger of God, he connects this new day, this new hope, this promise of peace. He connects it with a nation. With an advancing kingdom. And this advancing kingdom is full of people who are celebrating. They're celebrating like it's harvest time. They're celebrating like they just got their Christmas bonus and they're about to go, and it's just gonna be a good time. Okay? They're celebrating as if they had just won the championship. Like dividing the spoils. Why are they celebrating? Verse 4: For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, the rod of the, op- of the sh- on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. Now. I've got some Bible nerds in here, and you'll know this story. There's a story that happened hundreds of years before this. Isaiah's wanted to hyperlink back to that story and say, what God did then, he's going to do again. The, the story of Midian, uh, in the days of Midian, the Midianites had oppressed the people of God for seven years. And they came in like locusts. They couldn't count all their camels. And they would come in, and they would steal all the Israelites' crops. And so the Israelites were hungry. And they were broke, and they didn't have the strength, they didn't have the manpower to go to stand up to the Midianites. But then God called a man named Gideon. And Gideon took 300 men against 30,000 men, and against all odds, even before they raised their weapons, God defeated the Midianites on behalf of the Israelites. And so what Isaiah says is God is once again, he's going to shatter the burdensome yoke placed on his people. The rod and the staff, these weapons that were used against his people will be shattered like glass. And the Lord will render the enemy powerless to the point that, verse 5, the trampling boot of battle, the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. The evildoer and the oppressor will be so utterly defeated that they'll take all the boots and all the uniforms and all of the staffs, and all of the swords, and all of the shields, and they're going to make a big, a big pile of them, and they're going to set it on fire, and they're going to use it as a, a bonfire for the victory parade because there's not going to be any need for the weapons anymore. There's not going to be any need for the boots, and the shields, and the swords, and the, the, all the spears. There's not going to be any need because there's not going to be any more war. There's not going to be any more evil. What's the catalyst? What's going what's to bring about this advancing, this joyous, this peaceful kingdom? A child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. The history altering event that's going to turn the tide, the new day dawning, is going to be marked by the birth of a baby boy, a, a gift given to us from heaven. Who's Isaiah talking about? You know this because it's on your Christmas card, right? It's Jesus, right? The government, Isaiah says, the right and responsibility for ruling, for ordering life, will be placed on his shoulder. So this son, who we know to be Jesus, Isaiah says, is going to be the king. And that's a good thing because... He is going to be a king, Isaiah says, that is unlike any ruler the world has ever seen. He will be named. He will be called. He will be known of. When people think about his behavior, when people consider his character, this is what they're going to say about him. He's a wonderful counselor. Wonderful, amazing, awe-inspiring, out of this world, higher than the highest heavens counsel, always true, always trustworthy, wisdom that never fails, it never disappoints, it never misdirects, all-knowing, all-seeing, everywhere present, tempted in every way we are, yet without sin, the highest priest who can relate to the lowest person. He is the wonderful counselor. He understands all the problems, and he knows how to solve them. He's the wonderful counselor. And he is the mighty God. The nations, the Bible says, the nations plot and rage against him. Just imagine all the fighter jets, all the warships, all the nuclear weapons assembled together to overthrow the king of glory. And what does God do? Enthroned in heaven, what does God do? He looks down and he laughs at them. Like an iron rod to a clay pot, all of God's enemies will be shattered to pieces. His arm is not too short to save, is what he says of himself. He is the great physician. He is the miracle worker. He is the creative healer. He is the way maker. He is the Lord who provides. He's the Lord who heals. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He is almighty God God. Nothing is impossible for him. He is the wonderful counselor. He is almighty God. He is the eternal father. He is the everlasting father. He is a father forever, never waning in his loyalty to his children. The loving provider who sends bread from heaven and sweet water for a rock, from a rock. The disciplinarian who only chastises his beloved children for their good. The forgiving dad who watches the horizon every day, desiring deeply that his wayward son would come back home. The good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The servant king who dies for the victory of his people. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is our perfect heavenly Father. And he is the prince of peace. In other words, Jesus is the prince of a of a place called peace. In other words, where Jesus reigns, there is peace. No more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more chaos, no more fear. No more war. How will Jesus make peace on the earth? How will he end all war and strife and anxiety and depression? How will he end it? Well, there's three options. Number one is Jesus compromises. And so he he gets together a council of all humanity, and they come to mutually agreeable terms. So that's one option. Number two, humanity overpowers Christ. And and, and mankind makes Christ bow to us and listen to us. Number three, Christ, Christ overpowers humanity. Humanity surrenders to Christ. Now, which one of those seems most likely to you? The third one, yeah. Verse seven, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I want you to notice how his government and his peace are intertwined. As his dominion increases, so does peace increase. Why are those two things connected? Because he rules his kingdom, Isaiah says, that will be no end. He rules it. He upholds it with justice and righteousness. Justice in that everything that he does is more than fair. And righteous in that everything he does is right. And so there is peace in the heavenly kingdom because everyone and everything will submit completely to the perfect will of Christ. All are in agreement. In this kingdom, when it's fully established, all will be in agreement that Jesus is Lord, that he is good, and that he should reign forever. All the world will worship him. All the world will love him. All the world will trust him. to rule over us and those who refuse to bow to the king they will be destroyed the rebel against the righteous king the rebel against what is right against what is true against what is good they will be destroyed because to their core they're evil and their presence is contrary to his peace and so men and women christ Will bring peace to the world by conquering humanity one person at a time. He will overpower each and every person either by his amazing grace or his righteous judgment. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way One day, when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Upon his glorious return, the angels and the demons, the kings, and the paupers, the sinners and the saints, everyone will bow before him. They will either bow in worship and reverence or they will bow in fear and trembling, but they will bow. The faithful will be rewarded with an eternal kingdom. The rebellious will be judged with an undending fire and on that day there will be peace. Now, between now and then, I want you to hold on to two things. Number one, Internal peace, or let me, let me start with this one. Number one, peace on earth is through a person. Now, I know many of you very well, and I know you're kind of like me. You get fired up about things, right? And so you see stuff on the news, you see stuff in town, you see stuff, on, and it gets you fighting mad. And some of you have been polishing your guns, and you're like, "I'll just try me. Mess around and find out." right? Now let me say this: I'm glad that you got some fight about you. We need more Christians that are brave and bold and have a backbone, because there is evil in this world, right? We are in a war, and so we need that. But just understand this, before you load up all your ammo. You will never eradicate evil by force. You won't. I'll, I'll prove it to you. In May of 1945, we went over to Europe and we curb stomped the Nazis. America. We did. And, and Hitler committed suicide and Germany completely surrendered to the Allied forces. And that settled it, right? That was the end of it. No more Nazis. We've destroyed them. Have you watched any Kanye West videos recently it seems like there's still a little bit of Nazi in the world for the last 20 years we spent trillion of dollars and our best men and women uh, and our best weapons to fight Islamic terrorism right we've spent 20 years are there still Islamic terrorists now I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done those things yeah we should have gone over there and curb stop the Nazis that was a good thing but just understand that's never going to defeat evil. It'll, it'll push them back. It may slow them down, but there's still evil in the world. Peace will not come through power because Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers. It's against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a battle against evil going on. Against baby killing, political corruption, racism, exploitation of kids. We could go on and on. All these things we see in the world, we know it's not right and we hate it. We would love to destroy it. But it's not a physical or political battle. It's a spiritual battle. And the battle can only be won. Peace can only be accomplished through the cross of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 and following. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one by destroying the barrier and divining the wall of hostility. His purpose was create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace in one body to reconcile both to them, of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. So if you're fighting mad because of the state of the world, good, you should be. But if you really want to defeat evil once and for all, if you are really serious about making things right, don't just go and polish your guns and work on your markmanship. Put on the armor of God. Grab the sword of the Spirit and preach the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. For Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and there will only be peace on this earth when all the people of the world surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Here's the other thing that I want to encourage you with today. That's peace on earth. Peace within is about surrender. Peace within is about surrender. We think peace is about control. That's why we say things. If everyone would just get out of my way on a bypass, then I would have peace. We say things, if everyone would listen to me at work, then I would have peace. If everyone would just agree with my politics on social media, then I would have peace. I used to think, I used to think I'm going to be the boss of my house and everything's going to be good and we're going to be just, and then I got married. I got married. Gentlemen, I'm going to give you a pro tip, okay? If your wife ever says, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a trap okay? It's a trap. The older I get, the more I realize there are so many things in this world that are outside of my control. What they do in Frankfurt, at the school board in Washington, D.C., what other people say and think about me, what coaching decisions Coach Cal makes. He never listens, no matter how loud I yell at the screen. So many things outside of my control. And so trying to control all these things is what keeps you so stressed out and so easily angered. Control is not the way of peace. Trying to control everything is the way to frustration and anxiety. Instead of trying to control everything, the Lord commands us, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Jesus encourages us. He says, unload your stress on me and I'll give you rest. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. Paul says, if you surrender all these things that are stressing you out, you'll be given a peace that doesn't even make sense. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, just imagine of how, how much peace you would have if you knew the end from the beginning, isn't that what stresses us out? Like we just don't know how it's all going to work out. There's so many stressors. There's so many, so many unknowns. There's so many things that are outside of our control. Wouldn't it be nice? You'd have so much peace. You'd sleep so much better if you just knew the end from the beginning. Now, you don't know the end from the beginning, but we do know the man who does know the end from the beginning. And he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. There's peace there. There's peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So if you want peace today, make the Prince of Peace the king of your life. Surrender control of your life to the wonderful counselor, to the almighty God, to the everlasting Father. Because when you allow Jesus to fight the battles that are too big for you, then you'll have peace. When you trust Jesus to lead you through the dark times, you will have peace. When you rest in the completed work of Christ on the cross, then you will have peace. The Lord wants to give you peace today. So come to him. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord, I pray we're just overwhelmed by your faithfulness, overwhelmed by your goodness today, and that we surrender our lives to you. Help us to resolve ourselves, Lord, to go out in this world and be peacemakers by battling the forces of evil through the preaching of the gospel. Resolve us to that today. Lord, I pray if there's any person in this room who's far from you, that they'll come and they'll speak to me, that I might pray with them. If there's any person in this room who's carrying a burden that's too heavy, Lord, I pray that you'll give them the courage to come and kneel at this altar and lay all of their cares before you because you care so much for them. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a song of invitation. Uh, it's for anybody, really, who just needs some help in this world. If you've got any stressor whatsoever that's just gotten to be too big for you to carry, please come and kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. If you're here today and you're far from Christ, or uh, you'd like to start a relationship with him. You'd like to make the Prince of Peace the king of your life. Will you come and talk to me? Let me tell you about your next steps and pray with you. As we sing this song, come.